If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Yes, it is time for another amazing episode of the Heretic Happy Hour podcast. Oh my goodness, you guys are in for such a incredible episode. Uh, we're continuing our series on decolonizing Christianity. And uh, my name is Keith Giles, and I'm one of your co-hosts. Uh, my name, uh, my, I already said that. My name is Keith Giles. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm skipping like a record here. Like, what's going on? And my name is Keith Giles, <laughs> if you don't know that. And uh, who are you? Uh, Keith Giles, and I am the author of the best-selling Jesus Un series of books available on Amazon about deconstruction and reconstruction of your faith, and I'm also the founder of the Square One community and course um, that starts February 14th for people that want help going through the deconstruction reconstruction process. We don't have to go through it alone, and uh, we'd love to help you do that. I'm joined by my co-hosts, the amazing Derek, Katie, and Matt. Say hello. Hi, everyone. My name is Katie Valentine. I'm the author of Sex, Slavery, and Self-Control. You know what? I haven't mentioned this one in a long time. I also have like one lone CD, and it's a harp solo in chakra grounding meditation. What? So. Why haven't I bought that yet? I don't know. But there it is. So my my book on Amazon, a lot of times it shows up under adult content because of the title. Oh, wow. But the heart never does. The heart never does. <laughs> exactly. So all, all my diversity and all of its glory is right here for you. Sex and harp. Sex and harp. Oh, there you go. That's what I'm bringing to the table. So today. many talents. That's awesome. And in case you don't know who I am, I'm Derek Day. I'm the co- uh, I'm the co-host of this podcast and the host of the Forward Podcast and the author of the Love Minus Religion blog on Patheos.com and soon to be author of some new shit on Path uh, on, on on Choir.com. Yeah, bring it on. Can't wait for that. And I am the fourth batting cleanup here, Matthew J. DeStefano. I'm the Woo-hoo. author of, of multiple books. And I just want to encourage everyone to go over to my Pathios blog, All Set Free. It's pathios.com slash blogs slash All Set Free. And check it out today. We've got another episode here. Derek, you're going to introduce our wonderful, wonderful co-host? Yeah, this is a friend of mine. Uh, and the the awesome, the amazing Romel Parks Weekly, who is not only an openly gay pastor, but he is also amazingly orthodox in his approach to scripture. And you guys are in for a fucking treat. It's the heretic of the week. Hi, my name is Romel Parks Weekly, and I am a heretic. Hi, <laughs> well, I, I've, I've been given the honor, which is normally bestowed upon Keith, which is to kick things off. And we are continuing our series on decolonizing Christianity or decolonizing theology. And today we have a special guest heretic, my friend, my brother, the Right Reverend Bishop Apostle Romel Parks Weekly. And 
I got to say this. I'm going to set this up because Romel is an openly gay pastor. Now, that doesn't shock anybody that listens to this show. However, however, when I first met Romel, he and I were, uh, uh, I guess, alternate moderators of some really crazy preachers group. <laughs> and, and, and when I found out that, that Romel was gay, this was one of these um, moments like my experience with P.K. Langley where I really had to reevaluate everything that I thought about, not just sexuality, but ministry and humanity. And he very lovingly, very brotherly walked me through it without knowing that he did. And so he is one of the most admired people in the repertoire of people that I know. So I'm glad to have you, Romel. So that's that's the setup. I hope that I did you justice, and I hope I didn't go over the top. But, uh, but brother, I'm so glad to have you here. I'm really glad, really honored to be here. And I hope having uh, come on the other side of that introduction, not to disappoint. <laughs> well, the, the pressure's on now, though. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, can you briefly give us a little bit of an idea of um, your journey? Um, you know, how did, how did you end up being um, sort of a, a, a gay minister? And I'm sure there was uh, some interesting things that happened along the way uh, for you to kind of be at a place now where you, you can say that you're gay and you're a minister, and uh, and both of those things are, are true, are both still true of you. So, yeah, help us understand a little bit about your journey and how um, what that was like. So I will try to, my best to give the short, short version. <laughs> <laughs> Raised Pentecostal, so very conservative, uh, seeking to live the life that I thought at the time God wanted me to live, so trying to uh, live straight, even though I knew I was gay. Married a woman, started a church, uh, pastoring, in the midst of pastoring, and about five years in, decided to write a book um, that at the time I thought was going to present the balanced perspective about homosexuality and the Bible, which at the time I believed was that, you know, no one asked to be gay. So it's like clearly not a sin to be gay. However, um, choosing to act on those feelings is where the sin would come in. That's what I thought at the time. And so um, I began to write that book. And in order to write it, I started out with a study phase. So I began to study everything the Bible had to say about homosexuality. Interestingly, here I am pastoring a church <laughs> and had never studied the topic of homosexuality. I could quote <laughs> all the passages, but I had never studied like, the all topic. All five of them, right? And so, <laughs> yeah, because right, yeah, there are right. so many. <laughs> uh, but when I actually studied it, I began to find out as I applied the same logic that I applied to other topics to this topic now, I began to find out that the Bible did not say what I thought that it said about homosexuality. And so I'm kind of stuck now because, wait a minute, I'm married to a woman. <laughs> I'm passing a church. I can't believe this now and not live in my own truth. So what am I supposed to do with this? Um, so I finally decided to, there was no reason to to keep lying to myself. So uh came out. Uh, to my congregation. My wife and I decided to uh, get a divorce. It was amicable, thank God. Um, and I ultimately made our church gay affirming. And so actually, and then we reorganized and merged with another, you know, most of my congregation left at that point. 
Um, but a couple of years later, we merged with another teeny tiny congregation. So we went from being two teeny tiny congregations to just being a tiny congregation. Um, and that was in 2012. <laughs> so actually this year, next, this coming Sunday, actually, we'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary. Happy anniversary for that. That's really exciting. Wow. Congrats, man. And what's the Thank tradition you. of the church? We are non-denominational. Which is a good thing because had, I, had we been denominational, I may not have, I may not have ever had the courage to come out. Do you, do you have peers and colleagues who are also affirming, who are also LGBT in the community as well? Yes, I do. Um, not so much locally. Um, St. Louis is, is a pretty conservative city in this conservative state, but. Uh, yeah, around the country, absolutely a, a number of people who are uh, affirming. It's a, it's really a movement now that's happening, um, a growing number of people. So it's it's exciting to be a part of that movement. Yeah. So um, Romel, I'm clergy as well, but I'm not I'm not serving a church right now. But um, I would like I'm like most of my colleagues actually, my close ones are part of the LGBTQI community. So it's kind of like cool. what circles you run into. So I'm glad you have colleagues, uh, colleagues and peers as well. I, I'm an ex-pastor, but I was affirming before I hung up my cloth. That's awesome. And you paid a price for that, I'm sure. I did. You mentioned something that was interesting that maybe um, some of our listeners might not know the difference. I'm sure most of them would. Studying the topic and reading the passages. Mm. So differentiate that for us. So yeah, um, reading the passages, uh, what... <laughs> What people would typically call eisegesis is this notion of, you know, you you already know what you believe, so yeah. therefore when you read it, you're going to read into it what you already believe. Um, it, you just have a way of reading the Bible that reaffirms everything that you already think, but you don't actually take the time to labor with it. You don't take the time to ask questions about it, to wrestle with it, to see what other passages have to say about it. Do other passages affirm it? Do other passages contradict it? Um, what's the history behind it? What's the culture behind it? Who wrote it? Why did they wrote it? Who was he writing to? There are so many ways, that, uh, things to do with the text that we don't really do when we quote unquote read the Bible. So yeah, that's the short, short version. Yeah. That's exactly right. I think it's uh, very fascinating uh, because as a uh, straight white male <laughs> pastor uh, who uh, who also processed this this topic, um, it's so funny because when you were talking about how you you went, it's sort of the stages you went through of like, well, you know, it's um, no one chooses to be gay, and so it can't be a sin to be gay, but but the sin is the acting on it part. That is exactly the process that I went through. The, the reasoning I went through too. I, I was I was thinking about it and looking at it, and, and that was where kind of my I, I thought I had sort of like um, I thought that that view was actually a progressive view. Like, oh look at me, I have moved away from saying being gay is a sinful thing, and now I look at me, I'm so so progressive. I know everybody, it's okay to be gay. It's just not okay to act on it, see? And um but then I but then of course, thank God, I continue to move forward and, and to continue to question this and to look into it. And you know what's funny is for me, I did I did also do that same kind of thing where I looked at the scriptures and I, I felt like I understood them better than I did originally. But you know what, for me, one of the things that really changed my mind to, about it, as as um Derek mentioned, was the minute I suggested to some of my close friends that I was moving in this direction, I suddenly found out that I already had a lot of Christian friends who were gay. I just didn't know that they were gay because I suddenly became somebody who was more safe to have this discussion with. And really, honestly, that is one of the things that changed my mind on this topic, probably more than 
or at least equally so than the passages, was realizing, oh my gosh, there are lots of people who I who love the Lord, who are committed to Christ, and yet they are gay, and there is no problem with that. So, um, was did any of that factor into your experience as well? I mean, uh, of course, you are gay right, as as you're looking at this, but did did you also then become more open to other people that you knew who were gay, or did that help you also kind of in your own transitioning in this? Uh, this question? You know, honestly, not really, because I was, even though I was gay, I was still, you know, friends with, you know, other gay people. And, you know, it was, uh, it was never, a, even from my own journey, it was never, a, even while pastoring um, and in the closet, I never preached like an anti-gay type of message. Okay. Um, so I still had communications and connections and friendships and all that kind of stuff. If anything, it helped me to to out that part of myself and live that way as I do with every other aspect of who I am. So it helped me to to apply that kiss my butt mentality <laughs> to my sexuality right. as I apply to every other area of my life. So it's like once I came out and once I told my mother, I was fine. I don't care what you thought. <laughs> so I didn't want my community to leave, but if you have to leave, adios, you know. But because right. at the end of the day, this is who I am. I'm not going to hide behind it. So like do with it what you will, you know. Yeah, that's beautiful. Now, I'll tell you one of the things, like with me, it was my, um, I went from being tolerant to being affirming to being celebratory, right? Because it, it, it's, it, it was like, I thought about this in the context of you, Ramel, in the, in the context of Will Rucker, in the context of Pete Langley. Uh, and, and, and basically, it, it was like, okay, it's not enough to tolerate, right? And then I said, okay, it's not enough to really affirm because this is, this is your identity. This is like, I mean, this is your being, not your doing, right? So it, it, for me, it became this thing where I had to celebrate this identity and, and really, I mean, just go all out. But here's the turning point because you did a series on, on a, a series of Facebook lives. And, and I, I think I watched maybe about three or four of them. I didn't catch all of them because I know you did a deep dive on this. But the thing was, is that it, I've always been an admirer of you because even as a pastor, right, speaking pastor to pastor, that you've always had this amazing fidelity to the text and that you didn't veer from the text. And what a lot of people that, uh, that uh, you know, basically came out as gay in the, in, the, in the ministry community, they're like, okay, I don't need to have this fidelity. I can kind of you know, circle around it or dodge around it. And what you did is you went straight in headlong and said, no, you don't have to abandon scripture. No, you don't have to walk away from this. No, you don't have to deny anything because the answers you need are right here. And when I saw that, I was, listen, I'm going to tell you what, because that was part of my cussing journey too, because I was like, holy fuck. What the fuck did he just say? What the fuck? I mean, I was just like, holy fuck, this is amazing. <laughs> this, I, and, 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 my, and my mind was blown. So so the, the thing, and, you know, we talked about this um, offline prior to the um, the show. I, I want you to talk about the series that you did and how you treated these clobber passages because, dude, this should be seminary-required teaching because honestly it would it would change 
the face of Christianity toward everybody that's not in Christian orthodoxy. Yeah, when I, I, I've always maintained that if somebody came to me and opened the Bible and actually walked me through, through it the way I try to do with others, I would have been affirming a whole lot sooner than I was. But everybody at the time that I had engaged with who was affirming and presenting that message seemed to take the Bible and kind of throw it out the window. And so like that, that, that doesn't sit well with me, you know, um, that, if that's your journey, that's fine. But that wasn't how I approached scripture. And so, yeah, scripture means a lot to me. Um, and so, uh, this, this series that I did, I've, I've done it now in so many different formats, the video series and audio or book books, I should say. It's, it's interesting because that's the thing that I think most people resonate with is that I have a high view of scripture. Um, and I think that when people realize that you don't have to take the Bible and throw it out, that the Bible actually is an ally. <laughs> I really believe that the Bible is a strong ally of the LGBT community once it's handled properly, once it's properly interpreted and applied. Um, then yeah, it totally transforms. It, I know it did for me. It totally transforms your whole outlook on faith, period. You know, I may have been studying homosexuality and isolation as a topic, but that, it, that journey completely revolutionized my whole view of faith and Christianity altogether. Um, and, and it came from scripture. And I was honestly, I was, I was a little jaded and upset about it because I thought I've been in this, walk a long time. I've been passing a long time. And I just felt like I had wasted so much time in uber conservatism and I felt cheated. So it's like I'm trying to make up for lost time now, which is probably why I shout this message from every rooftop I can find because I, I feel like I have to make up for lost time. Good. You know, I'm I'm loving the story, Ramel, and that um, that sense of feeling cheated. I, I've certainly felt that, and I've encountered so many people that have as well. So that really, really resonates with me. I know a lot of the listeners; it's they're going to share that that feeling as well. Um, I'm kind of curious how um, I'm going to introduce the Q word queerness, uh, and when we talk about like being queer and queer theology, and um, even decolonizing that word, like that queer, I feel like the queer community has decolonized that word that used to be a slur and made it into an empowering identity now. But I'm curious if if you can talk to us a little bit about um, if you share that identity, how how that informs you and your work, like how that um, changes or doesn't change. Uh, the way you operate in the world and in the church? Uh, for me personally, um, I certainly don't, you know, reject the identity, um, but I don't really utilize it myself. Um, I think more probably in the, in the black LGBT community, um, that we tend to, to use same gender loving as a nomenclature for, uh, uh, gay people. Um, but, it's, and, and for me, it's like the queer is almost like in, for the LGBT community, similar to the N-word for the black community. And so many people in the black community use the N-word within the community as a, you know, disempowering way of, you know, this is our own term now and we utilize it that way. So I certainly get, um, that methodology. It just personally, I don't really use it. Um, but I, I, one thing I do like though is the usage of the word identity. Because however you would, if you would say I'm gay, if it's queer, whatever language you would use, I love that notion of identity because one of the pushbacks that I get from 
conservatives is that our only identity should be in Christ. And I'm like, okay, so when I hear that, I just call bull crap because, you know, <laughs> if, I, if I say I'm a Missourian or I'm an American, you know, especially with yeah. our conservative Americans, we love that part. Especially, you know? yeah. Yeah. So we don't have a problem with identity then. But yeah. if I say I'm queer or if I say I'm gay, then all of a sudden it's an issue. So, yeah. So I, so I'm in a, um, I'm going to withdraw my question because you helped reshape it and uh, pointed out that's like, that's a white people question uh, to talk about <laughs> queerness. <laughs> uh, and I didn't know it. And now I do. Okay. So I'm going to, um, I'm going to now, I, I realize now I should have asked a question before I made assumptions because I made a big assumption. Um, and so that, but the identity, the, the identity that you, um, that you have claimed is that maybe, is that the right way to say it? That you've claimed for yourself, um, as a gay black man, you know, how, how does that, um, nuance the way you nuance or maybe in a big bulldozer way, like the way you, um, operate in the world or maybe the way the world operates to you? Uh, for me, it's about claiming it, not just within the community, not just as they would say, preaching to the choir, but claiming it in all of the spaces where I'm going to get stoned for claiming it. Um, because until that visibility, and that's what where labels in turn, people, I don't like labels. Labels matter because that's how the, we, people see the world oftentimes. And so for me to take that label or that um, uh, 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 identity and claim it in unwelcoming spaces provides the visibility that's necessary for people to realize, oh, wait, these are actually human beings. Oh wait, they actually have names. Oh wait, they have careers. They they're in ministry. What what you know? So I, I for me that whole notion of identity and bringing that that totality of who I am into every space that I inhabit. You know, as a black man, as a gay man, as a man, all of these different as a tall man, as a left-handed person, you know, all of these <laughs> no, different aspects of who yes. I am. <laughs> yes. The Bible does have something to say about left-handed people, but yeah. That's right. That's it. Tell me more about more about that than about being gay. Yeah. <laughs> after the show, both of you. Right. Um that's uh, that's so yeah, that's so helpful. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that and kind of exploring that um all, all the different ways our identities inform and um, not using the L word, right? Labels or lifestyle. I think that's the one I hear a lot. This is just mm -hmm. a lifestyle. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, it's an identity. It's part of, it's who you are. Right. Yeah. Derek, I know, I know you had some, but um, a quick antidote. Um, you know, I'm openly bi and I was having a conversation with a, well, he's pretty moderate, but still pretty conservative pastor. And his son came out gay. And his initial question was to kind of, he wanted to validate him in some way, but wanted to ask, you know, are you sure? And I, and I tried to remind him, like, because he was on the same thing, oh, let's not try to use labels and this and that. And I'm like, well, but the heteronormative is fine with the labels because they're like, oh, I'm, I'm a proud straight person, you know? So it's, it's when it becomes non-heteronormative that all of a sudden, oh, let's not use labels or this and that. And it's like, you know, Derek, I love the fact that you've gone from, you know, saying that, you go from a place of tolerance to celebrating. Let's celebrate yeah. where we are because we've yeah. celebrated every, we've celebrated heteronormativity for so long. Let, let's celebrate the others. Yep. Love yeah. It. And even if someone's not sure, like celebrate that. That's cool that we even have the option to have the fluidity. Uh, and you know, this, this goes back to something that Matt said in a, in a previous show that we did where he talked about uh, how sexuality, we treat sexuality as if it is very detente, 
that there's a click between each different thing, but it's really a very fluid spectrum. And, 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 and so when, when you look at it as a spectrum, when you look at it as a rheostat instead of a switch, then you see, okay, that there, that there are a lot of different areas where someone can, can fall and, and that they may not fall in the same place every time, you know? And, and so what, what we need to do is really normalize the entire spectrum of sexuality and normalize the entire spectrum of gender and, and, and all of this. And again, to be able to celebrate it. But this is the question that I had because this one, this is the thing, right? Because Ramel, you and I share one, well, actually we, we share several attributes. We're both tall and, uh, and, and we're both black. Uh, and I'm a former pastor, you're a pastor. Uh, but this whole thing about blackness, and, and I remember when you first did this Facebook Live, that there were a lot of people that gave you pushback for equating sexuality with race. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Me personally, back in the day, that was an issue for me because I was like, you know, how dare the LGBTQ community piggyback on the, on the, 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 uh, the, the, the achievements of the civil rights giants? I said, how dare they do that? But then I thought about it. I said, okay, if we're looking at this as a matter of being, this isn't a, 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 a physical attribute per se. This is who I am. This is the total, part of the totality of my being. And so you got a lot, when you first did that, uh, that, that broadcast and you said, hey, listen, because I, I don't remember exactly how you said it, but you you said that 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 basically the LGBTQ community and the Black community should be in lockstep when it comes to matters of civil rights, when it comes to matters of social justice, and you really drilled into that again using scripture, and 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 I remember watching this, and, and again. I'm going back to this thing again. Holy fuck, holy fuck, holy oh God. And 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 I'm I'm up here, I'm up here shouting, preach, black man, preach. You know. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. I'm having a moment. <laughs> but yes, I, and it's interesting, it's it's interesting and it's frustrating to me because yes, as a black, it's, this is kind of where we get into the area of intersectionality, where there are there are multiple aspects of me. Some are privileged, like me being a male. Some are not privileged or oppressed, like me being gay, <clears throat> um, being gay and so and being left-handed. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's the, the, the real oppression right there. That's right. right. You have no right. idea. <laughs> Trying to use scissors, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's it's it amazes me how my people, my black brothers and sisters, my black siblings, can rightly shout from the rooftops, "We shall overcome," but then be so. Um, single-minded, so have such tunnel vision in relation to oppression. For me, it's a matter of principle. It's not just a matter of, am I on the winning side on this, on this conversation? But even if the story isn't about me, it's still somebody else's story. So for me, I'm going to shout this for on behalf of women. I'm going to shout it on behalf of disabled people, because even though I'm not disabled, even though I'm not a woman, oppression is all of our story, and it's all of our journey. Um, and I think that 
part, you know, rising, being able to rise, we have to do that together. And so for me, it's very frustrating to see an oppressed group of people have an oppressive attitude or mentality toward other people. So when I see black people who are anti-gay, bugs the hell out of me. When I see women who are um, anti-black, bugs the hell out of me. You know, when I just see any oppressed group that that hasn't learned how to take their own story and empathize and share the journey with with other people, it it it, it is very very bothersome because at the end of the day, it's all oppression, no matter what shape or form it takes. Where's my goddamn organ? <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just need somebody to hit me up a C sharp periodically. <laughs> That's all. Uh, Rebel, I wanted to just say something about uh, the same the, along the same lines of what you're saying now. What what I and I, I agree with you. I also found it fascinating. Um, I think it was when I was listening to NPR back when you know the. Um, the legislation passed that gay marriage was now legal and all that and, and all the celebrating about that and, and, and the, and the struggle of all that. And what was fascinating is on the, this NPR program, they interviewed some black, um, pastors who were not in favor of this. And they even asked them, like, how could you not be in favor? You know, how do you not understand? Like you were saying that this, this is an oppressed group of people. They have struggled for so long to have these same rights that you, you, you know, why aren't you celebrating with them? And, it seems that the the disconnect, the reason, at least, and I'm curious what your perspective is on this, if you would agree or if you think it's something else. But it seems to me that the reason, oh, this is kind of what they said in the interview, but it seems like what popped up was the reason why a lot of the black Christian community doesn't see themselves when they look at the gay community is they, they because they say, well, that's a choice. They, those people have chosen to live a, as we've said earlier, a lifestyle. And that's different, right? Because we didn't choose to be black. But, and, and I think that was sort of like the, what? <laughs> I was, I remember driving in my car going, oh my gosh, this is horrible. But if you think that, if you've been convinced by your theology, by your whatever denomination, that it's a choice, well, then that can give you reason to justify that, or at least can at least make you not be able to see it. That's part of it. And I think that from their perspective, it makes sense. Obviously, it's not a choice, but it, it, it would make sense if, they, if it were, you would think that. Um, <clears throat> but honestly, I think that that is probably a quarter, like 25%. You know, it definitely factors in, but it's, it's more palatable <clears throat> to put that excuse out front. <laughs> yeah. what, what is actually, I think, one of the bigger issues is the Black community, our journey to liberation is ongoing. Yeah. We we are still we still shall overcome. It hasn't happened yet. We're yeah. in process still. We've made a lot of ground, but we're still in process. And so when another group of people comes along and then the the narrative of American progress shifts away from the black struggle um to the LGBT struggle, then there's a feeling of being threatened. Like our own story is being threatened. That's why people people have said gay is the new black. No, the hell it's not. You know, people get angry. No, the black is still black. You know, this, it, yeah. this struggle is not over yet. So I think that for many people, there's this visceral feeling of being threatened that are that that we've acted like we America has checked the box off for black liberation. And I think in many ways, that's a legitimate grievance. In many ways, America has acted as though the black journey is over and it's not. But just because it's not doesn't mean that we should turn a blind eye to other journeys as well toward liberation. Yeah, that's beautiful. 
And do you think also that part of it also, like you were saying that that was a quarter of it. And I'm just saying this because like the people I've had conversations with on, on the, on this issue, when you show them the scriptural, you know, lack of support and like, Oh, these words doesn't, doesn't mean this and blah, blah, blah. And you walk them through it and they still have a problem with it. Um, I, I personally think it has more to do with it. It's just this personal thing where like, because they're straight, the idea of uh, homosexual relationships, they, it kind of, there's an ick factor for them, right? They just can't understand it. It's like, it's to them, it's quote unquote unnatural. Like it, it to me, I, I just, I've seen that in a couple of people where it kind of boils down to that. Like it, it isn't about the scripture. So, so for some people it is. But it's like when I, when you can answer all these other objections and you can say, well, there really is no reason for you to still not be affirming or celebrating. I think with a lot of people, that's what it is. It's like, I'm straight, so I can't imagine not being straight and I can't imagine someone not being like me and, and, and or it's just something in me that like, oh, I just, I don't like that. Right. Yeah. I think, that, um, I think that for a lot of people, it's, a mixture with that, when you talk about that ick factor, that misogyny plays a big part of that ick factor. Because the truth is that a lot of these men who have this disgusting view of two men having sex are jacking off to lesbian porn. <laughs> so, so it's really this idea that Boom. how dare this man who's supposed to be the head, you know, turn over and surrender his booty to another man. It, yeah. it, it, it doesn't compute for them yeah. because for them putting yourself in the, in the unexalted role of a, of a lowly woman uh-huh. is disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, thank you for providing us the quote of the year right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're going to get made into a couple of memes uh, in a good way, in a good way. Um, so you've mentioned a third L word um, that I would love to explore a little more, and that's liberation. So I'm wondering if you can define or talk about liberation, what that means, what what does Black liberation look like or what are the ways it could look like? What does LGBTQI liberation look like or the ways it could look like? How do, how do we get there? Now, before, before Romel takes this, Katie, I want to piggyback on your question because what you said just now, what you asked just now, what is something that I want to say because basically I look at all of this when we, when we talk about black liberation and we talk about LGBTQ liberation and we talk about stopping Asian hate and we talk about uh, all of these different things, right? That in my mind, that what's happening is, is that we are getting off the religious plantation that now we are coming to a point of true spiritual emancipation. And now we're able to walk in a, in a level of freedom that we weren't able to walk in before. So Katie, that was a, a very, I, I, I had to, I had to jump in and just, and throw this in here because that is directly related to what you were saying. And Romel, have at it, bro. Man, like, where do I start? <laughs> I want to give like this, a, a short answer to that question, but it's so full. It's so uh, big. Um, Take your time. Take your time. We have lots of time here. Just go for it. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Don't tell that to a preacher. No. <laughs> but <laughs> first, just to piggyback off of what uh, Derek was saying. So this idea of um, this spiritual plantation one of the m- most difficult things to get someone to realize and and 
Harriet Tubman is is quoted as saying, you know, the, one of the, her biggest struggles in freeing the slaves was convincing them that they actually were slaves, right? One of the challenges that we have with um, with spiritual emancipation, spiritual liberation, is that people don't even realize that we're in spiritual bondage, the religious bondage. And so even proving that um, and, and, you know, affirming theology is just like one piece of that much wider puzzle. But even being able to prove that is, is, a, is a struggle, a journey in itself. So to answer this question of, of liberation, for me, and of course, you know, obviously who you ask, you'll get a different answer. But for me, liberation is a two-pronged approach to being um, free, if you will. Uh, the first prong is, and I think the most important, is internal that people have to come to a place of being able to understand. Well, let me, let me start. I don't want to miss anything. Recognize first the, who they are, understand it, and then go through the, through the process and journey of, of coming to embrace it. That has to be able to happen without any external affirmation. Because if the world never did accept me as a gay person, if the world never does accept me as a black person, I still need to be able to come to that place of peace within myself. It can't be contingent on anybody else's opinion, anybody else's ideology, anybody else's theology. And, and, and that's a problem because as human beings, we're communal by nature. We need affirmation. We need spaces where we can be ourselves, but yet still be in communion with other, and in community with other people. But, but liberation has to be an internal process. And then, of course, the external <clears throat> in doing the work of helping other. One of the things about liberation that people need to know is, and like black liberation, my job as a black liberator is not to try to get white people and anybody else to like me. I don't care if you like me. The question is, are you utilizing your resources to oppress me? So the, the, the journey to liberation is getting the boot off my neck. It's not trying to change your opinion about me. And that's one of the challenges that we wind up having. I think that James Cone was, was, was basically perfect at this. He's a, a theologian who passed um, uh, recently, I think like two years ago. Keith um, is going against but, Keith, his James Cone book. There you go. Absolutely. Read, I saw that he's reading it right now. That's yes, right. And James Cone did not care what you thought about what he had to say. <laughs> he was going to say it anyway. And one of the challenges again. that people have is with liberation is we're trying to make friends along the way. You can't. The job of liberation is not to make friends, it's to be free. And so I think that James Cone is a very good case study uh, for that process. Yeah, it's like if you make friends along the way, fringe benefits, but that's not the point. <laughs> yeah. That, that's that's where I am. I you know, I, I'm I'm at the point. You know, I, I tell everybody, listen. They, they say, "Oh, well, you must be a really miserable person." I'm like, "No, I'm not." Everybody that knows me knows I'm a really happy-go-lucky guy. And if you saw the life that I live, listen, I always tell people that I I see my life through an eight-year-old boy raised by a single mother in Detroit. My life right now is a fucking miracle to this eight-year-old kid, right? So it's like, I'm not really concerned about what anybody thinks about me. I'm not concerned about what anybody's opinion is of me. My thing is, is that if I can get you to, to, to leave the plantation of the thinking that you've been conditioned to and think outside that, and, and I'll, 
for the record, I'm the resident atheist here, right? I, that's where I'm landed now, right? But the, the thing is, I'm not com- trying to convince anybody else to be an atheist. You can believe what you believe, but when you export your belief beyond the nation, the borders of the nation of you into the, the greater population, and you try to use your proselytizing to, uh, to build numbers against people like me, then I have an issue against that. And I don't care whether, whether it's my blackness, whether it's my tallness, whether it's my atheistness, whether it's my long hairedness, I don't care what it is. And I'll, I'll just clarify for Romel. I, I disagree with the fact that Derek's an atheist. I, I think divine anthropology is his theology, but maybe that's a topic for a different for a different day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, I would say that's another topic. We don't did want you to just export your beliefs onto Derek, Matt. I think you did. I think he did. Around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he did. He, he just he just called me the spiritual N word. Oh, yeah. Hey, are we talking about colonizing, decolonizing, not colonizing? <laughs> That's right. That's I was giving right. an example of what not to do, and you guys got it. So everyone's passing the test. Today. All right. All right. <laughs> so, Ramel, um, can you talk a little bit about in this, you know, as you're moving in this direction and you're wanting to speak this way and um, and to communicate these things, talk a little bit about the pushback you get and where do you get it from? Who are the people that typically oppose uh, what you're doing and want to shut you down and, and silence you. So two main groups, obviously, the most obvious is conservative Christians. What? Um, yeah, you know, the, the ones who care the most. But it's funny because, um, and it's so odd to me because they do it in the most heinous and egregious way. And it's like, I thought you loved Jesus, but here you are cussing me out in his name. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like horrible, horrible language, right? But, but yeah, um, conservative Christians have a very, 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 very hostile reaction. I, I, I'm convinced that they think that I'm going after God, that somehow by being affirming, by being gay and then be, being affirming, that I'm actually a t- I'm taking a knife and trying to chop the head off of Jesus, you know. Um, it, it, and they take it very personally, and it's very visceral, their reaction. But then I also get a lot of pushback from the Black community. And I think that that is because, well, I mentioned some of it before, that feeling of threat. But I think that there's also something that's endemic to the Black community and to our journey toward liberation and this idea of coming to accept who we are internally first. And this is one of the areas that I think we still struggle as a community. And of course, I'm going to get castigated for saying this now on a broadcast with three other white uh, <laughs> uh, hosts because, what, 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 you know, what, this what, is white. Oh, there are three right. white people. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> Because we're supposed to not air our dirty laundry, they say, to, to anybody else. We're supposed to have those conversations internally. But let's just, you know, call a spade a spade. One of the problems in our community that we're still uh, wrestling with is um, this need, and this all stems from slavery, this need for black maleness to be projected with strength. Um, and it's very understandable why that is the case. We even have a phrase, strong black man. Um, and it's very necessary because there was a huge degree of emasculation, not just associated with slavery, but also associated with Jim Crow and just with um, uh, a racism, period, in our history in the United States. And so it's understandable how it got to be the way that it is, but it still has been uh, had a, ne- a very negative effect on the journey toward LGBT liberation, particularly in the black community, because when a man loves a man, 
and again, takes that I, that role of a woman in their eyes. That's why you always get the question, well, who's the woman? Did these two dicks not convince you that they are they're men here only? Can I say dicks? I'm sorry. They're custody. I'm gonna say So it's like, did that not convince you that there are two men here, not women? But we it in their eyes, it has to be a woman here. It has to be somebody who is less than. And so for for them, for a man to be gay is um so in some ways for a man to almost commit treason against the black mm. community. Wow. Because we're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to have the, the raised fist, not the limp wrist. And so um, there is this, I think, um, this pitting against the Black community and the LGBT community where there's this idea that there we're on opposite sides of this thing and we really should be on the same side. So it's it's tragic, but it's the reality. Man, that is so fascinating. I think, man, that that's something I would never have thought of that. But I think, man, hearing you talk about it, it's like, well, damn, that's exactly right. Even even to the part you were saying about like how n- not even just through slavery, but through Jim Crow and just racism in general in, in America, like this is why white men call grown black men boy, boy right? Yeah. Right. And so it's to keep them at that level, right? And and then the gender roles, man, that is so powerful. Like Like you said, like, it's such a, like, a misogynistic, patriarchal way of thinking, right? To say that in the in the uh, intimate relationship, one of you must be the woman, and then the woman, therefore, is the one that's the weaker one, and right, and um, the one being subjected. Like, well, why do we think about sex that way anyway? Right? It's so funny. Like, it, you start untangling this. Uh, it's it's such a tangled um, thing, and there's so much kind of like toxic the- psychology, not just theology, that's mixed up in it. You don't you don't do affirming theological work well if you don't also deal with misogyny. Yeah. You cannot do one without the other. Yeah. Wow. And Beautiful. you know, this this the thing, the, the the funny thing that I see is like we get hung up on the whole idea of two men, right? But if you think about this, and you really think about this, right? We're we're talking about some real egalitarianism here, right? Because now we're taking away the subordination. We're taking away the weaker vessel, and, and we're and we're saying that that all are level. And isn't that the point of Christianity? Supposedly, that that the most level playing field is the foot of the cross. And and, and so when we when we start talking about um, you know uh, undoing these roles. I don't think that it's, you know, when, now that you break this down, now that you explicate this, Ramel, it has nothing to do with the ick factor. Although we can, we can point to that. It has everything to do with undoing specific role assignments, which then in turn, once these role assignments are, are broken, then maybe race assignments are broken and then class assignments are broken and that we do approach, at least asymptotically, some form of true egalitarianism. And can I just say quickly, th- th- I was talking about how liberation must begin as an internal thing. This is an, and I, I, I pulled out some of the black communities' dirty laundry. Well, let me pull out some of the gay communities' dirty laundry, right? Because we're, we, we're not free either, right? One of our internal struggles is that 
there are still, not, not completely, but there's still so much work to be done in relation to sexual positions in the gay community because we are duplicating in so many areas in our relationships and in our sexual in- engagements, duplicating the male-female paradigm where the one who's the top objectifies the one who's the bottom yeah. or the one who's the top cannot um is in is in love with somebody but because they're a top two well we can't be together because I can't be penetrated by another man but because psychologically it's emasculating to be penetrated yeah. and so there's still this um misogyny that's embedded inside of even gay people so we've got our own work to do as a community to get free of that of that way of thinking. Thank you so much for bringing up all the intersectionalities of, of oppression and that if one person's not free, I'm not free as well. That the, these, the, these really do have to go together. And the, and the internalized misogyny, internalized racism that people express like, yes, yes, yes. Um, like w- women can be women's own worst enemy with their internalized misogyny and the way that that gets expressed um, out in the world for sure. And one of the things as you're talking that I'm thinking about is that your um, the things you're saying, the awesome things you're saying and the positions that you're taking really bring to forefront the body. And this is an area of like a passion of mine is embodiment, like how we express ourselves in the world, in the 3D world, like with the positions of our bodies, like you just brought up, um, two tops aren't supposed to be in a relationship, right? Because, um, and that's all about bodies. And that makes people really uncomfortable. It makes people really uncomfortable because we often want to spiritualize like what the body is. And so I just, I think this is more an appreciation. I'm not sure I have a a fully formed question in here. Maybe one of my other co-hosts can uh, make a better question out of what I'm saying. But the, um, the centrality of the body is really important and central to our spiritual experience. It seems to me like you're decolonizing and doing that in a really, really beautiful way and like putting the body out there as sacred. It's not secondary to our experience. The churches I grew up in, Pentecostal, we had, um, you know, they have like the Apostles' Creed and then we, that the church would recite and things. But we had something called an affirmation of faith and it was written within our own denomination. But one of the, one of the, um, uh, lines in it, I, I can't, it's been so long ago. Let me just ultimately point out that there's this idea that the body is the one thing that's just completely antithetical to, to, to Christ, to God. It's evil in all of its ways. There's nothing good. And, and so we have to subject the body. And that's because of, I think a lot of the language that the scriptures use regarding flesh. And one of, one of the things that I'm doing even right now with my own congregation is helping them to differentiate and delineate between body and flesh because flesh as it's used in scripture does not equal body. And so, um, we have to come to a place of seeing our bodies, this evil, evil body as actually being holy, as actually being good, yes. as actually being worthwhile. Wait, worth isn't your body the value. temple of God? Isn't Ooh. your body the temple of God? Preach it. According to the Bible, but who reads that? <laughs> <laughs> not, not Christians. Not Christians. Right, <laughs> right. You know what? Let, let me just throw this out there real quick. That, that 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 word when we talk about flesh, that word is sarx in the Greek, S A R X, and 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 so when when Paul is talking about the flesh, he's not talking about the body. He's not talking about the sensual being. He's talking about the mentality, right? In other words, when Paul is saying don't be fleshly, he's saying don't be a fucking meathead. That's what yeah. the sarx means. 
has nothing to do with the body. But thank you for pointing that out, Ramel. Thank you for enlightening that. Absolutely. I, I, I think that, that once the church is able to see that, that the body is holy, then all of a sudden sex can also be holy. Yeah. And then, um, and then our bodies actually matter. So what we do to our bodies begins to matter and how we treat our bodies begins. And then how we treat other bodies begins mm. to matter. And yeah. their skin color begins to matter. And whether they have a vagina begins to matter. It, and whether they have both That's begins right. to matter. You know, right. yeah. It's a lot of work we can do with the body, but we have to start with actually recognizing the body is actually a good thing. Yeah, love that. Yeah, there's a whole lot of really bad toxic theology that, um, like I, I see that same kind of thing. I mean, I, I think we can point this to probably Augustine had a lot to do with that because he had a lot of self-loathing and uh, weird ideas about sexuality and desire and all that kind of stuff. But Calvin didn't make it any easier, right? They continued this idea of like, we're worms and we're wretches and there's nothing good in us and all that. And what's so funny is like, as we're saying, you know, like, Sure, you could point to some scriptures that seem to emphasize those kinds of things, but there's also a whole lot of scriptures, and I would I would argue even more of them, that argue for the opposite, right? That argue for the idea, as you were saying, that God is God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them, and nothing will separate us from the love of God, and love is love keeps no record of wrongs, and like it's this emphasis that we have on our unworthiness. Right. And we're, we're not worthy of God's love and we're not worthy of all these things. So that really informs a whole lot of what then later trickles down into this sort of hating yourself, hating your body, hating your any expression of sexuality. I mean, even to the point of like, uh, I mean, it permeates even to straight heterosexual sex. Right. It, it's it's like it even messes that up. Like at the point you would think they go, oh, this is what's normal and God given the quote unquote biblical way is you know, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And yet that theology tarnishes and taints and, and makes toxic even that expression of love, right, between a man and a woman. And so, of course, it continues on to everything else. And, I mean, yeah, it just really makes me so mad. I almost want to wish, what, let's get a time machine. I want to go back and, like, can we just, like, make it so, or live in an alternate reality where none of those ideas caught on. That would be great. One of the most controversial posts I ever made, and I don't know why, but it's the most controversial I've ever done. And I, I live for controversy. It was a very <laughs> simple question. And I got cussed out on this thread like you wouldn't imagine. I asked the question, does God have a penis? Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we've talked about that. And boy, they went in. And the reason that they went in is because how dare you say or even proposit that God has this horrible, horrible, disgusting, evil thing called a dick. It's like, it's horrible. <laughs> now, my point in asking that question was to identify that God, even though we may use gendered per pronouns, is not a man. That's right. God is God. Yep. But yet, even in trying to bring that forth, the, the, the language of penis just sent people into a very, it sent people into the sucking place. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're exactly right. See, it's, it's so funny. And we've done the same thing. I wrote a blog post this, uh, also like God does not have a penis. I think we did a, uh, a here to we had, we had an episode literally called, does God have a penis? Does God have a penis? And <laughs> to, to, to talk about that same thing. And it's so funny because, um, that is such, it, it is such a problem, isn't it? Like, Christians will say like, oh, no, God doesn't have a body and God is a spirit. And like, okay, because God have a penis or, you know, and then they'll get upset or, or offended. But at the same time, they'll turn around and act like God is a man 
well, wait, you just said God doesn't have a penis, but he has to be, quote unquote, male. Um, that's why, you know, like, that's why people got so pissed off and upset about the shack, right? And I, I could never yeah. figure out which they were more pissed off about. Was, was it because God was shown as a woman or, or that God was, was shown black. as black? And, and it's probably a little of both, right? But it's like, we cannot seem to get over that gendered idea of God. And, and yeah, it's like, because it's also the, op- the opposite is also true, Ramel. Like, yes, how dare you suggest that God has one of those filthy, disgusting penises, but you better not suggest God has one of those filthy, dis- disgusting vaginas either, right? Like, why do we equate these things? Why can't we separate these ideas, right? And again, it's, it just goes back to really bad theology. When they reacted the way that they did, my very next post, does God have a vagina? <laughs> the holy hoo-ha. But God, but God is the mini-breasted one. Uh, we've mentioned this he before. He is the mini-breasted one. Yes, God indeed. Is, he is the mini-breasted one. So there you go. Okay, so Ramel, uh, we're we're, we're going to go ahead and, and and bring this bird back in. I mean, this has been a really amazing conversation. I've really enjoyed it. But for our listeners and for your friends and followers, how can they get in touch with you? How can they get hold of your books, your material, all of that stuff? Give us the full social media slash printed media dump. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so I am on Facebook, Romel, R-O-M-E-L-L, Parks hyphen weekly, uh, P-A-R-K-S hyphen W-E-E-K-L-Y. Um, and unfortunately, I've been redesigning my ministry's website for like, uh, seven years and it's, <laughs> it's not done yet. So, but eventually you will be yeah. able to also go to parksweekly.org parksweekly.org and also find us there. Is that like a um, GeoCities website or uh, like uh, was Alta Vista? What, you, what is that? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you were way back for that Set the way back machine to 1999. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. Um, <laughs> so, and then I have um, my first book on homosexuality, which was the book I was initially writing from a non-affirming perspective, but has become affirming. Um, that's also on Amazon. It's called Homosexuality. It's like a, a cross between Christianity and homosexuality. Homosexuality. Um, if you do look under the author's name, it's, it'll just be weekly because that was before I was married. Um, well, actually, I was married to a woman at the time. <laughs> so that was before um, I was married to a man um, and hyphenated. But um, the, re- the homosexuality, the next book was The, re- the Rebuttal, where I took like, I think five, uh, leading anti-gay theologians and took their books and rebutted their arguments. There's like over 200 rebuttals that I made um, in, in the book, Re- The Rebuttal. That's also on Amazon. And then the last book I wrote, wrote about homosexuality was called Homosexuality and the Death of the Church. Um, and that, Great book. You know, I love controversial titles. So yeah. you, You're knocking out of park with that one then. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Because um, of course people hear that and they think that it's, I'm coming from a totally different lane that I'm actually coming from. So um, I really, really like that one. That's a little less theology heavy as the other two, but much more, I, I call it prophetic. It's, it's, it's an examination of the state of the church and where we're headed and why this hot button issue of homosexuality is probably going to be one of the key buttons that will take us there. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. This has been an amazing yeah, episode. Oh my gosh, what an incredible conversation. Thank you, Ramel. Thank you all very much. Well, I'll tell you what, Derek, you weren't lying. (laughs) 
That was that was a fuck. That was a fucking treat. Yes, it was. Uh, it, it, I, I didn't know Ramel, so it was a nice introduction. And you know what? Another one knocked it out of the park with us. It's 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 almost like our co-hosts in this series have been with us for a while, and it just they they step right in and they do their thing. And uh, I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as much as as we have. Um, but before we wrap it up here, heretichappyhour.com is our website. You're going to want to go there, binge all the old episodes that you haven't yet listened to. Check you're out our... goddamn right. You're goddamn right. Check out the uh, the bookstore. Check out the... Uh, we, got, we got a t-shirt shop. We got free stuff on there. I don't even, I don't even remember how much <laughs> stuff so we much have stuff. on there. <laughs> but there's so much shit. Head on over to heretichappyhour.com. Awesome. And thank you, Derek, for introducing us to Romel. Like, what a delightful person. Just wonderful, like, just a wonderful presence. Just genuinely nice. And uh, and I feel educated. It's tall, too. As well. I couldn't tell that. I couldn't tell that from the audio, but nice. Okay. Uh, And so after you buy all your swag and all your books, take a picture of them, post them in our free Facebook group, which is Heresy After Hours. Everyone's invited. The table is wide enough for everyone to join Heresy After Hours. Uh, We talk, we laugh, we cry, we help each other in our deconstruction and reconstruction process. And we'd love to have you join that community. Yeah. And did I mention my name is Keith Giles? I just want to make sure people know who I am. Did I say that? You, you may have said that I at may the start, said, but I don't just, remember. Just in case, my name is Keith Charles. Anyway, and um, I want to make sure that if you love the Heretic Happy Hour podcast, that you, um, if you can't get enough, you need to know that you can get some extra stuff. Like we've recorded some extra interview footage and we've had like extra podcast stuff. We even put up extra videos and conversations. There is just over a hundred uh, different things over there on the Patreon page, our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Heretic Happy Hour. And if you go over there and you support us, for really almost any amount, you'll unlock all this amazing stuff. And I just want you to know if you, if you, um, if you haven't done it, please do it. But if you're doing it already, you know what? We really do appreciate you. Thank you so very much for uh, supporting us at whatever level you're supporting us. It really does mean a lot. It lets us know that you care about what we're doing and, um, and you love supporting the podcast and we love being supported. Believe me. Thank you so much. Well, well, hang on for a second before we go. Uh, we we need that sloppy wet kiss from Keith Giles. Mm-hmm. Oh, Love there you. we go. Oh boy, I'm I'm just like warm and fuzzy, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're listening to the Heritage Happy Hour podcast, if you love us, show your love. By giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. Five-star, not four-star, not three-star, not two-star. And if one-star, we'll send out a fucking SWAT team for you. But (laughs) five-star, five-star rating on iTunes. And Keith will put his mouth on you. Well, there's there's a last chance of getting a reading. Figuratively, <laughs> metaphorically. Maybe that can happen in heresy after hours. Well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure about that. Oh, my God.